When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So it's 754, Tuesday, March 22nd, 2022. And as I was just telling Mr. Paquette, I have a jacket on because they did, my maintenance guy did something and my air conditioner is turbocharged now. It feels a little bit more like a meat freezer and I love the cold, but that's why I'm wearing a jacket inside. And none of that is relevant to anything we're discussing today. Mr. Paquette, <laughs> please introduce yourself, sir. Yeah, my name is Jeffrey Sosa Paquette, and I'm running for Congress here in District 2 in Massachusetts against uh, Congressman Jim McGovern, who's been our congressman for the last three decades. Three decades? Three decades, and you know, when you look for your ultimate insider, I look at it this way a little differently. You know, He got to D.C. in 1977 to go to college, then became a staffer, and then became our congressman. So he has never left D.C. since he was 18 years old, and when he got there, I was seven years old. So I really look at him and say, when I did that math on it, I'm like, wait a minute, you got to D.C. when I was seven? I'm 51 years old. You've been there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And no real world experience. You're there. No. It's it's like the people that go to college and become a professor and they stay there. And they might be a great professor, but at the same time, it's like you can't really lecture on anything outside of your specific. If you teach physics, that's fine. But like you can't lecture anyone on like, you know, international trade. It's like dude, you've never left that biosphere. Right. Correct. And it's I started this podcast two years ago when I was 29. I'd gone to, I'd gone to college, gotten to medical school and pharmacy school. Did a whole lot. Have my own life experiences. But, and you, I was looking at your website. I mean, you started your own business and sold it by the time you were 29, correct? Yes. Yes, I did. I, you know, I started my first company when I was 23. You know, and, you know, like my website says, you know, I started with literally $100 in cash and a $5,000 credit line. And I started a little 400 square foot pet supply and grooming store um, that I had a staff member that, you know, ran the store and I, you know, maintained my job because obviously the business wasn't going to pay me, pay me or pay the bills while we were building it. And then, you know, fast forward that six years, you know, my first year in business, I did $56,000. And by the time I sold the company, I was doing uh, just, just shy of 7 million in sales, seven locations and 112 employees. And I sold it when I was 29. And then, you know, when I, after I was done selling it, that's when I went back to school. Um, unfortunately, I had to leave school when I was 16 years old. Um, you know, my father you know, went to jail for 20 years. I have not spoken to my father since I was 16. Um, you know, unfortunately, he molested my sisters. And so I left school to be able to take care of my brothers and sisters and help my mother. Um, you know, and I grew up, you know, basically, you know what, hard work and determination get you where you want to be. Um, you know, you can't cry over the things that have happened in life. It's, you know, people will respect you for what you've overcome or have pity on you for what you can't overcome, but you can't pick, you know, choose, you know, both. You have to pick. Um, and obviously I chose respect and, you know, built myself up. And, you know, so I got my high school diploma when I was 29 years old after I had turned myself into a self-made millionaire. 
Um, then I went started college at Becker University, and I've taken, I, I think at this point, I've got like 168 credits, um, not put them to any specific degree. It was all classes that I wanted to take. Sometimes it was in the child care, because I'm in the child care business now, um, or, you know, in banking, when I was in the banking time. You know, so any classes I take right to this day are choices that I make. They're classes that I want to learn about, but. You know, other than that, I think, you know, if I'm looking for a job, my resume speaks quite clearly for itself and no one's looking to say, what is your degree specifically in? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're looking at my experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, how many people can say they they became a millionaire and then got their high school diploma? That's, that's pretty fucking bad. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, one of the things I always, you know, I try to pass that forward and what I'm always teaching people through my whole career, you know, I always take the underdog and, and, and teach them, you know, what? stop whining. I'm going to show you how you do these, you know, these steps and how you move through life. You know, your choice is to either learn from me or not learn from me. Um, if you're willing to put the effort in, I'm willing to show you how do I turn you into a six figure, you know, employee a year. You know, it's not just the businesses that I've owned, you know, at the same time of owning my own businesses, you know, I've, here in New England, you know, I ran two of the largest Toyota dealerships, you know, in New England, you know, the last dealership I had, and stuff, for example, you know, it was ranked 73 out of 76 dealerships, meaning it was really bad. Um, it took me seven months and I turned that dealership around from the bottom 73 to in the top 10. And then three months after that, for the remaining few years that I ran that dealership, it was number one, number two, and number three. And stuff. Um, and it's all about customer service and, and teaching people, listen to your customers. Stop trying to be a snake. You know, when you think about like politicians, you know, sometimes and stuff, you know, there, there's truth when people complain about the car business and that there are snakes out there. Um, there really is. And, you know, the industry's come a long way and, and, you know, getting rid of that, that scenario of, you know, just rolling people over. And a lot of that has to do with technology and stuff. You know, people know what their cars are worth now. They know, you know, what a car should be sold for. So, you know, dealerships can't pull the crap that, you know, let's say they used to pull in the 90s and stuff, or really even the early 2000s. Technology is kind of taking care of that. And, and that's the way it should be. And that's what we want. Um, but in running the dealerships and stuff, you know, I, like I said, I made the number one and stuff just in pure customer satisfaction. And that's how I, you know, grew those businesses. You know, that's how I've grown my own daycares and stuff. You know, I haven't, when you think of my own business and the childcare business, I've been in it now 20 years and I would on, venture to say I have not spent $1 in the last 10 years on any form of marketing for my business. It is all Word of mouth, do your job. I'm on a three-year wait list, so I have no reason that I need to advertise and stuff. By doing my job and, and teaching my staff how to do their job and stuff, the business is successful. Um, the staff that's been with me has been with me for over a decade, so I don't have staff rollover. And, you know, and that really comes from, you know, I take care of my employees and, you know, one of the examples I would give you on that is, you know, the last time we had these crazy gas prices, you know, $4, $4.29 a gallon, what we have here and stuff, you know, that goes back to 2008, 2009, when we were in that exact same scenario. 
and stuff and what was happening in the childcare business, you know, and I had just bought three daycares on top of the one that I had um, at that particular moment. And then all of a sudden, when all hell broke loose with gas prices and stuff, parents were, for example, you're off on Monday, I'm off on Tuesday. What parents were doing was figuring out their days off and started watching each other's kids. So full-time enrollment got, you know, whittled down by 50%. So Julian and me, Julian's my husband, I said, okay, what are we going to do here? (laughs) You know, one, we just put out a million dollars buying these centers. um, And, you know, our revenue has been cut in half and stuff. So Julian and me made a decision that the 54 teachers that work for us would not lose their jobs. And so we ran our businesses every day from seven to two in, in the afternoon. Then the two of us not wanting any form of management job, but needed to just bring money in to make sure our mortgage and our kids were taken care of. The two of us would get to Chipotle's at three o'clock in the afternoon and roll burritos till midnight and then double on the weekends. And that's how we pulled through the next 10 months and we rebuilt the business and every one of my teachers maintained their jobs and those teachers still work for me today. Hell yeah. Hell and, stuff. And, and, you know, I'd like to see a little bit more of that out of politicians and stuff that they actually understand that their decisions affect somebody's personal life. Uh, um, and that's when I look at like Jim McGovern, you know, he doesn't know what it means to build a business, sign a paycheck, um, go get a job to protect your own employees. That That's more important than your own self-worth at that particular moment. Uh, or when I say self-worth, I mean your own wealth yeah. and stuff. You do, do what you're supposed to and commit to your employees because although I disagree when Obama says you didn't build that, what the way I interpret it as a business owner is, I absolutely <clears throat> built the business, took the risks, put my house up, you know, for collateral, all of those type of things. But the truth is, no business can grow without your employees. Sure. I mean, that's just factual. So if you're going to grow a business, you've got to grow your employees with them. And and that's just been my philosophy. And I've told all of my employees through my whole life, it's tough. Work for the guy. Don't work for the guy that pays the, the lowest because that's just a selfish SOB <laughs> and stuff. The guy that pays you at the top level and stuff sounds good for that six months or one year. But when the business gets tough, who do they lay off? The top paid employees and so pay for the person that is steady and taking care of you right in the middle and you're going to move right through life just the way that we want them to and that's where i've always placed myself is just be right in the middle and you know do what is responsible for your employees and for your business um and you know, that's how we built our life and you know getting into politics and stuff really stems from a, a few different things you know being in the child care business uh, you know, I work with uh, 90%, 95% of all the families I work with are families that are below the poverty line and stuff. So they're on some form of government voucher, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, you watch, and I'll just give an example. Let's say a single mother that has two kids. You know, she's required to go to school um, and finish her school or go to college um, or work. You know, there's a requirement. You got to do one or the other. So let's assume mom's working, you know, she's got her college degree now and she's working. And now what happens is we want people to go to work, to build a career, get raises and rise through the ranks. And so the systems, the way the Democrats have set up these systems is the first time mom gets that $1 an hour raise, what happens is now all of a sudden she makes too much money. So the, the 
voucher is paying my center for her two kids $650 a week to have the kids in care while she goes to work. Well, how does a $40 a week raise wipe out a $650 benefit? So what happens is, is that mother has to quit her job and start all over. And you watch this cycle just keep repeating itself. And, you know, in the 20 years I've been doing this and stuff, you know, I'm witnessing the third generation coming through that I'm like, wait a minute, none of these families were lifted up out of poverty. We're just, we're going from grandmother to child to grandchild. And every one of these generations are just repeating. It's a cycle that people are trapped in. So then I said to myself, well, where are the Republicans? Why are they not, you know, for lack of a different way to say, I don't want to say why are they not smart enough, but really, why are you not smart enough? to say we must put in a step-down program that as they rise, you know, maybe you're going to have a parent fee or, or something like that, but you can't just strip the benefits away because what was the benefit of sending her to college or doing any of these things that have already been spent if you're not going to then let her climb the ladder that she can lift herself and her children up? Um, so, you know, that's one of the reasons that I decided to run. And so, you know, when I look at, um, you know, the millennials is where my attention, you know, got focused on at first and stuff was they're the first generation that's doing worse than their parents. Yeah. Then you look at the Gen Z's and go, okay, not only are they doing worse than their parents, they're potentially doing worse, you know, than the millennials. So then I looked at my own children, you know, my daughter is 20 years old in her second year of college and my son is 11 and I'm looking at my kids going, Oh good God, we're gonna repeat this whole his, you know, this whole thing again. I don't know how you're gonna do better than these ones. And so I really started digging in and just really looking at things and saying, does anybody have any common sense? <laughs> and and stuff and really looking at, you know, like I look at college and one of the things I would pose, you know, and when I get to Congress is, you know, if, if a school is gonna charge a student, let's say seventy-five thousand dollars a year to go to school then that student must come out of school with a degree that they get a job at minimum of $75,000 a year. And let's say they only get a $50,000 a year job. Then that university is responsible to pay back $100,000 of that student's debt because they did not get the job that equals the cost of the education. And when you start putting parameters like that on the universities, that's going to force, you know, um, a lot of these fake uh, degrees yeah. and say, you can't get a job off of this, so we're not going to do this anymore. Or it's going to force down the cost of tuition. One way or the other, you've got to hold these universities oh. accountable. Okay, yeah. And so, you know, you know, so, you know, that's something, you know, that I look at, um, that I think, you know, we've got to fix that. You know, I, I'm right there to tell everybody I will not, I'm not going to be a vote that will rise, you know, allow the lifting of the national, um, you know, uh, what am I trying to say, uh, debt limit and stuff, because all we're doing every time we raise the debt ceiling, we're just simply stealing money from a generation that's not even born yet, let alone how does the millennials, the Gen Zs that even begin to pay this stuff. We're so far in the future in debt that we've got to stop the debt and stuff and start looking at ways that we need to cut and look and say, what don't we need? What doesn't work? 
and get the government within its means itself. Because it's you know when you look at security of the country and stuff, our national debt is very de- you know dependent on our security. You know, just right along with you know, um, you know when we look at our energy, America must be energy independent with a pathway that generates the money to re- to move us to renewables and those things. How are we going to do that as a country? We must generate all of our own energy here in America, buying no energy from anybody. There's no reason for it. Generate those dollars and through taxes and as as you move fossil fuels and stuff, and, and right now we've got to increase our fossil fuels, but as we do that, create the American jobs, which is the middle class and stuff, take the taxation and you know, when you do it at 20% over five years or wherever we want to do the math, take away the subsidies that the fossil fuel industry is getting and stuff and shift all those dollars into renewable energy and let the system build itself and stuff. And then we generate the dollars without debt while, while building back our own <coughs> middle class. And then if we have access... Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yes, energy, then by all means sell it. And stuff. And if we're going to sell energy out to the world, to me, it should mean that if we sell $100 billion worth of energy, let's say to Germany, then those dollars go right to the national debt and reduce the debt and stuff. Um, and then bring our manufacturing home. Not everybody, you know, is going to school to be a doctor or a therapist or, you know, um, attack and stuff. You know, people work with their hands. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I was looking at you know, what happened in the last 25 years, you know, so now I take myself back to when I was 25 years old. And what's the biggest change, you know, when I just drive around New England, all of our manufacturing and stuff is gone. And stuff. you know, one of my first jobs that helped me, you know, build money and stuff. you know, I used to be a shift manager at York Steakhouse in the morning. And, you know, another job that I did seven to two. And then I used to leave there and go to National Sea Products at three o'clock and work the second shift till midnight packing fish. Well, you know what? At 21 years old, that job was paying me $19 an hour. And you're going back with that was what, 92? Yeah. And stuff. So when you, you look at it and say, well, that job paid this now. And then what I look at is, think of it this way. Haddock is a cold water fish caught off of, you know, New England, Canada and stuff. But we don't clean it here anymore. We catch it in New England, ship it to China to clean it and then ship it back. Yeah. And, and, you know, and my question on this is like, okay, you know what? I'm not saying it was the cleanest job in the world, but if, you know, 30 years ago, effectively, the job was paying, you know, $19, $20 an hour then, what would the job be paying now if we cleaned our own fish in our own country where we caught it and stuff? So, you know, this, this notion that Americans won't do the job, you kind of got to put the job there first yeah. and stuff and find out, 
you know what? I bet you there's people that will do the job. 100%. Yeah, there's, I mean, I mean, in 2007, I worked at my, my buddy's dad had a, a door frame warehouse in Atlanta. And I was making, yeah, I think I was making like $10, $12 an hour as a 17-year-old. But even that's just a simple example. Not everyone is going to become a physician. Not everyone's going to go become a, a theoretical physicist. Though great, though great jobs, there's also nothing wrong with going in, yeah, becoming a bricklayer or working at a, a mill or a processing plant. That's what the middle class was built on post-World War II. And we've taken that thing. We've completely stripped it. And I actually know that specific example that you were talking about. My dad was in the food service industry for 30 plus years. And I remember him telling me that that story probably about 15 years ago about sending literally it was cheaper to send fish that we had caught here across the world to China, have them do the work and send it all the way back. And sure, that's great when you're trying to I mean, I get the fiduciary responsibility of just trying to squeeze every penny out. But there is a greater cost when the people here don't have jobs. And then they're going to need social nets, those social nets, which are going to be paid for by tax hikes on the very corporations that thought they were, they were pinching every penny. It's there's in general, but you can kind of boil all this down to like a philosophical, uh, like elemental state. And what it is, is that there's nothing wrong with looking after your own country first. And that doesn't mean fuck the rest of the world. Every country should look after themselves. There's nothing wrong with nationalism. There's nothing wrong with saying we got to take care of our people first. I don't think there's anything wrong about that. It's not xenophobic. It's not racist. It's nothing about that. You take care of yourself, and then you can take care of others. Um, but yeah, sorry to interrupt with that with that uh, little input right there. Um, but you know, moving from there to kind of go back to what you said earlier is that you can either have respect for overcoming it. Or you can have, you know, you can be pitied for not being able to. I think that that is very applicable to where we are now. Uh, one thing I always say about like this podcast, when people ask me for advice, I, there's one piece of advice I always give, and it's you're owed nothing. Take that and run with it and apply it, and you'll succeed. You're owed nothing. And we can look at where we are right now in the country and say this is so screwed, this is so unfair. Inflation, energy uh, dependence, COVID uh, vaccine mandates. Or you can look at it and go, okay, this, this is where we are. Now let's let's roll our sleeves up and try to get to it. Do you, does that carry over with your mindset on just things are kind of shitty? Oh, right absolutely. Now? Yeah. And so, you know, as I say to my my children, look, this is the only promise America makes to you. You have the right to succeed or fail. And when you fail, America gives you the opportunity to stand up and go again. You know, I've had just, you know, I talk about, you know, my successes in life. You know, I've also had a lot of failures. Not every business I touched was I successful with. Um, you know, I tried my hand in the restaurant business, and that was the fastest million dollars I ever made and lost in my life. Um, <laughs> and I said to myself, okay, I don't belong in the restaurant business. Uh, <laughs> I, I, did, and so, but I did writing. Sounded like and... a great thing to try. I did writing and graphic design for a couple of years. Quick high, quick crash. Podcasting's working yeah. out, so I'm fixing with that. But yeah, no, you 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 have the right, you have the opportunity to succeed. You have the opportunity to go into the casino and try to make it work. No one's going to yeah. turn you down at the door because of the color of your skin. Right. 
No, you know, and, and that's it. At the end of the day and stuff, you know, the, what we're living through right now, yes, just in the, the woke world or, you know, the, the social woke and stuff, whether it's our genders, it's our skin colors, it's all of these different things. Guess what? When you move all the smoke and mirrors out of this, you got to go to work and you got to build your life and stuff. And it's really that simple. So, you know, Never in my life, you know, the one thing I would say to anybody is never in my life or if it was happening, I was unaware of it because it was irrelevant to me. And so nobody discriminated against me because, you know, I'm a gay man. You know, I'm the the individual that changed the law 21 years ago in New Hampshire to allow same-sex couples to adopt. My attorney was the first adoption. I was the second adoption. You know, the Sosa Pocket name comes from the fact that we adopted both of our children before, you know, marriage was legal. So we gave both of our kids our last names. And when me and Julian got married, when Rylan was seven months old, you know, we changed our names to match the kids' names. And, you know, and that's just kind of the way, you know, we moved through it and stuff. And, you know, one of the regrets I have in life is... You know, the argument that was made 21 years ago, why gay people can't adopt, blah, 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 blah. You know, the argument was we were going to indoctrinate our children. We were going to turn them gay and, and stuff. So now fast forward that two decades. The first generation of about 30,000 kids has been raised in the LGBT community. And guess what? Our children are not gay. <laughs> um, or at no different of a 1% than anybody else's kids. And so, but what is happening two decades later is that our schools and our teachers and stuff and our unelected bureaucrats are indoctrinating our children, erasing history. And when I look at, you know, the LGBT community, I look at it this way. We got all of our rights in 15 years. You know, so I lived through, you know, I came out of the closet in 88, you know, when, I thought, when AIDS was all happening, you know, all of this different stuff. But when you look at when we started moving, we got our rights to adopt, marry, have all the constitutional protections of everybody else. And we did it in 15 years. And we did it without burning buildings, doing all this crazy crap that we see today. And, you know, so one of the regrets that I have is my generation didn't teach the next generation. What did we do? Because we didn't behave like this and we didn't scream people down and we, we just didn't do these things and stuff. And that's how we paved the pathway. And what I'm looking at is, you know, we're undoing the work that we did because now you're firing up old arguments or people are going, see, we knew they were going to go too far. <clears throat> and quite frankly, you know, I do believe they're going too far. And, and the, the sad part about it is it, the majority of this is not coming out of the LGBT community, I always say it's the woke straight people that think they want to tell me how to live my life. Yeah. Um, and I say that, you know, even when I think about, let's think about Black Lives Matter, right? Go look at all the rallies and all the different things. How come only 2% of the groups that are out there are black and brown and everybody else is white? So you're going, all right, so you're, you know, basically projecting yeah. what you think. How about you just sit down, shut up? You know, we've solved this, and for uh, for the LGBT community to to put us in, in think that you know we've somehow been marginalized or victimized 
and stuff like, okay, go look at what women went through. Look at what the black community went through. Those type of things. We can make those arguments in those circumstances, but you can't make that argument in the LGBT community and stuff. And if anything, and stuff, the thing that I fought against, you know, two decades ago was to stop discrimination, et cetera, et cetera. And the LGBT community is doing exactly the what we fought to stop. We are, you know, I look at the community and go, we are the most obnoxious, discriminatory group out here right now. And and, and I find it embarrassing. And I have no problem saying it and stuff because this shouldn't be happening. And we certainly shouldn't be teaching our children that somehow we're victims. And, and I don't just mean that from the LGBT side. I mean that just right across the board. None of us are victims yeah. and stuff. You have opportunities. And you know what? <clears throat> some of us start at the bottom. Some start in the middle. Some are born with a milk, you know, a silver spoon in their mouth. And as we've all learned, as we grow up, the people that have a silver spoon in their mouth usually are miserable people. And just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and stuff. So you really look and go, you know what? The people that are happy are the ones that grew themselves up through, through the bottom and into the middle class and, and maintain that, you know, we 80% of us agree on the same stuff, you know, so it's not Republican or Democrat and stuff, you know, you've got, but you've got the 15% of the woke on both political parties that drive all of this nonsense. And, you know, this is why I'm out running going, you know what? My loyalty is to America and to the constituents that I'm going to be representing. And then, you know, the citizens as a whole of America, you know, party be damned. I have to do what is right. So, you know, if I have to take a vote that wasn't necessarily what the far right of the Republican Party wanted us to do, if it's good for you and all the other citizens, then I did my job. You know, in term limits, you know, I'm all about term limits <clears throat> and stuff. You get in there, you know, for me, term limits is for Congress, you know, two, five, two five-year terms and you're out and you don't have the opportunity to then run for senator. Like pick your lane, whatever lane that is, and you've got this much time. And as a U.S. senator, you've got two terms and you're out. Um, and so one, you've got to, you know, if you, in my research, I really started looking at, you know, Democrats and Republicans. Show me, you know, their voting history and, and where did the things change. And pretty much what I was able to figure out is as you come into that fifth term, that's when all of a sudden your representative no longer represents you. It's really, you know, special interests in their own pockets. I mean, I look at Congressman Jim McGovern. So he's only been in government his whole life, how does someone making, you know, if you average out his salary from start to end, how does someone making 135000 a year when you balance his career come out to be worth $58 million? You know what I mean? Like, I've busted my butt. It's, I, I just go, I want that trick because yeah. I make more money than that. And I've made more money than that since I was 23 years old. And I'm not worth $58 million. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. teach me the trick of how you did this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's it, it's like looking at like steroids and someone that doesn't go to the gym. It's like you go to the gym five minutes a week and this guy is jacked. And it's like, what's going on there? What's going on? Like, <laughs> tell me what you're doing. But that is what you kind of segued into what I was going to bring up is, you know, what will you do about insider trading? Because uh, to me, there's nothing 
there's no bigger load of horseshit than Nancy Pelosi and Dan Crenshaw outperforming Warren Buffett. Well, I mean, there should be, I mean, for me, it's really simple. Pass legislation that you cannot, and I don't even believe in, you know, a blind trust, right? And so you know, a blind trust, you think of it this way. You know, the trust fund that I have set up, is, you know, God forbid something happened to me sure. for Julian and the kids. And so do you think that just because it's in a trust, I don't can't pick up the phone and call my attorney and say, hey, move yeah. this money there, move that. And who knows that I made that phone call? And stuff. So, you know, I, when I hear, you know, it's in a blind trust, it's kind of like, okay, you know what? I, I've been around the block a few times. A, a blind trust, somebody can still call that trustee. And stuff. Um, so, you know, we need to just do away with it in its entirety. There's other ways if you're to invest your money or, you know, you just can't do it when you're in Congress. You know, do a, a straight foreign okay like everybody else. Put your money in and then let the government match. And I think that, you know, when I now, you know, we're going into, you know, pension funds and everything like that, you know, the biggest debt driver in our country that nobody talks about, right? And, and, and I understand from this perspective, people can't under, wrap their hands around 30 trillion in debt. The last thing that they can wrap their hands around is there's actually about $300 trillion in unfunded pension liabilities across this country and stuff. And okay, who's paying that? And as these unions continue to bring America to their knees and demand more benefits, more of this, more of that, where's that money coming from? And stuff, they're not funding these liabilities. It's, you know, it's a Ponzi scheme that eventually someone's going to pay the price. And I think, you know, I think we're going to see this happen in my lifetime, that this is going to, this house of cards is going to come crashing down. And then the American citizens are going to go, what do you mean we owe all these people this money? And stuff, these, these, everybody should be just like my employees. You know what? I do a 10% match, which is huge. You know, on a small business, most businesses do a four or 5% match. <clears throat> the fact that I'm lucky enough in a small business to be able to match my employees at 10%, and stuff, you know, if they can afford to withhold 10%, they've got 10% coming from me. And I encourage them all the time, put as much money in your retirement account as you can and get as close to my match as you can, because effectively you're getting a 10% raise yeah. every year. Yeah. You're just not touching it. Um, and I think everybody has to live off the same thing. You know, like me going to Congress, there should be nothing that says that if I win one time, and then I lose my seat the second time that I still have a pension. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Uh, how, like, okay, job's done. I saved for my <laughs> retirement. I did the things I'm supposed to do, but I'm not supposed to be on the hook to the American taxpayers yeah. for the rest of my life. And then my spouse then, you know, continues on that benefit because that's who's surviving me. Yeah. Well, yeah. <clears throat> and that's the way our teachers unions, by the way, that's the way that works. And so, you know, like uh, my CPA, for example, married her high school um, professor. So there's, I think, 23, 24 years between them. But anyway, one of, this is how one of the reasons I learned it and stuff is her husband obviously lives off his pension as a teacher and stuff. But when he passes away, his pension passes to her until she passes away. 
And I'm like, well, that's not right. What did, what did that have anything to do with it? Let alone, okay, you're the extreme. Most people don't have 25 years between their spouses and stuff. I said, but basically, effectively, what you're saying is you're, you're going to get another 25 to 30 years of a benefit on the backs of the taxpayers that did, you had nothing to do with and your husband was taken care of through his life. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's all these things and stuff that I look at, or, you know, we hear food insecurities, right? All the time. We are oh, food insecurities. We can't feed the kids. We can't do this. So my question to the school boards and to everybody is, okay, if we have food insecurities, then ask, tell me why, you know, like, let's take Massachusetts. Why would we be spending $10 million a year on diversity surveys between our five-year-olds and our nine-year-olds? How about we don't spend the money on stupid stuff like that and feed our kids <laughs> and stuff? So I don't have to raise somebody's taxes. We have to have real conversations that says, what is important here? Do I feed the children or do I ask my six-year-old, you know, how he feels about the opposite sex or does he feel like a boy or a girl? Like any five, six-year-old is even thinking about that. Yeah. It's kind of, it always makes me think of uh, Step Brothers, right? The movie <laughs> Step Brothers where he's like, don't give up, like, you know, being like you want to be a musician. He's like, Dad, my dream's stupid. He goes, listen, when I was seven, I wanted to be a dinosaur. That's stupid. And it's like, but no, really, right? Really, I, like, I... wind the clocks back 10 years i was really dead set on being a doctor i got into medical school and it was great wind the clock back you know 25 years and yeah i I probably wanted to be a dinosaur but that's just kind of a that's kind of a a side thing for another yeah no it's it's dumb as shit excuse my french i'm trying to swear Um, but um to 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 move from there to so one of the people i've interviewed eight times now is dr robert malone uh, inventor of the mRNA vaccine, and it's becoming less of an issue now with you know Putin invading Ukraine. But your thoughts on uh, on on COVID vax mandates? Because until they're abolished, I, I don't think that I can really completely take my foot off the gas. Now we need to on that one. We all need to you know stripping away our liberties and our freedoms is as un-American as anything. It is choice. And so if you want to have the vaccine, Go ahead. take the vaccine. Yeah. If you don't, then don't. But the, this fallacy that was created by our government and stuff that if you take the vaccine, you won't catch COVID and you won't spread it. Well, that's a bunch of BS because we all know and stuff that, you know, the people, and especially on the, this last variant, the opioid, Omicron. Um, thank you, Omicron uh, uh, variant and stuff. The people that were catching it were the vaccinated. And, you know, and when, you know, like I look at the hospital stats and everyone's like, oh, the people that are unvaccinated are the majority that are in the hospital. And you look at the numbers and go, okay. So what we're really not saying to the people is what you said is technically correct. So let me get this right. 51% of the hospitalizations for COVID are unvaccinated, but 49.5% are vaccinated. But you skip over that. It's basically a 50-50. You know, and I am vaccinated. And, you know, and look, that was probably the only fight that, uh, you know, Julian won with me in 20 years (laughs) and stuff. And, you you know, I was supposed to run in 2020. Unfortunately, I make a joke about this. You know, I had to suspend my campaign. I had a stroke. A stroke saved my life. 
Um, they learned that I had three brain aneurysms. I had to have four brain surgeries to get them removed. It took me a year to learn how to talk again. Um, you know, so my last surgery was what, 15 months ago. And I stood my campaign up, uh, you know, a year ago, March. Uh, so basically a year ago now, um, and said, okay, I can talk. My health is back and I'm back out there and, and stuff. You know, and again, you know, you don't cry over, over spilt milk. You know, I have a, a goal and a determination to make things better, you know, for you, for your, your, your children or future children, for mine and everybody else's. And you know what? Great. I got sick. I had to recover and I'm back. And and that's what we want people to look at, not in stuff. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to chill or I'm, I'm going to give up or I'm going to do less and, and, and then blame someone else five years down the road that I don't maintain the same lifestyle. Yeah. Well, if I want to maintain the same lifestyle, I got to put the same efforts in that I did beforehand. People get sick and then you get better. Um, you know, so I, I'm just on a very common, common sense approach to things. Um, but, you know, anyway, so I did get vaccinated. I didn't get boosted. Um, and then what was funny is after Julian forced me coming back from CPAC a year ago, that if you want, if I wanted to run, the only way he would let me run was to get vaccinated and stuff. So I got vaccinated. And then what did my neurologist say to me? Oh my God, you've checked in with me on everything. We never would have let you get vaccinated just for the pure risk that you could get a clot because, you know, they did put two stents in my brain. Um, so then they put me on blood thinners for six months to make sure everything cleared my system. Um, now my son absolutely not and stuff you know ryland is a different circumstance and stuff you know he was born addicted to heroin um you know me and julian got him when he was two days old um you know and effectively for the first three years of his life he you know lived kind of like in a bubble he couldn't go outside or do things that normal kids could because he couldn't breathe um you know so i said to the schools and everybody i'm like over my dead body and stuff. He's not getting vaccinated. I still have his organs measured every six months and stuff. And this will continue for several more years. And he's not getting vaccinated. And there's nobody that's going to convince me otherwise. Um, and, and that's what I mean about choice. People have to make choices with their doctors. You know, and now you see what the CDC, the numbers are, are you know, are cooked, which we did. You know, we obviously already knew, but now, you know, they're getting caught with their hand in the cookie jar. And then you're figuring out with the these vaccines and stuff that they're really were what, about 14 percent effective. Yeah. But yet we destroyed our country, our economy, all of these different things. And we spent $13 trillion between stimulus and the federal, you know, uh, you know the Fed just printing money. And okay, now what are we going to do? That's when you really have to look and go, okay, you know, millennials, I hope you got your shit together because you're just going to have to push through this. And then you look at, you know, the younger Gen Zs or, you know, to my daughter and go, we don't fix this and stuff. We really have a dependent country and stuff. And this is why they're attracted to socialism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and we're one, you know, we, what do we always hear in every one election? We're, we're one election away and stuff, but th- th- there really is truth to that. We, we can only go down this road, uh, you know, so much longer before there, there's just no way to return from it. And stuff. because what are you going to do? Yeah. And stuff. You know, I mean, you know, our GDP, what, right now is, what, 22, 23 trillion uh, as a country? And we're 31 trillion or heading to 31 trillion in the hole, not counting, you know, unfunded liabilities. And so, um, yeah. 
Yeah. So anyway, sorry. No, no, no. That was that was absolutely wonderful. Um, no, it's um, but all these things we're talking about, right? Be it a uh, critical race theory, or be it uh, yeah, you know, dividing people by which is you know the opposite of MLK to not be judged, to be judged by the character of your you know of of who you are as opposed to what you look like. That's now everything that's being driven. So that CRT vaccine, vaccine efficacy, all these things that are being discussed, right? That I that the reason why I was banned from YouTube was for interviewing Dr. M- uh, Peter McCullough, which told who told people to take vitamin D. Right. There's sort of a you can take all these things, right? So we can take you working at the fish packing plant or the steakhouse or uh, or childcare or you overcoming your uh, your brain surgeries, all these things, and then we, what can we do? We can boil down what's the bottom thing. The bottom thing is you take the hand you're given and you work your ass off. So just like that, we can take all these other problems, CRT, debt, uh, you know, where did COVID come from? Uh, what's fake news? What isn't? Was there election fraud? Is, are the vaccines, uh, uh, do they work? They're all boiled down to the same thing, and it's the free flow of information. It's the free flow in your ability to speak. And I'm not stupid. I understand these are private companies. However, this is all being, there's one plug, there's one hairball in the drain. And I, and it, nothing's, obviously nothing's ever this black and white, but to me, it's big tech's ability to just squash conversation and not mm-hmm. allow, we can now say that we know that they're only 14% effective. But if you said that two years ago, well, no, 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 no. We got to this point, as with all things, you know, they didn't just used to think the earth was flat. Some people thought it was round but also thought it was on top of a turtle. You know, there are like, there are different views. All things are fake news until we do get down to the science. We don't know. They used to think that inside of every sperm cell was a homunculus. That was in like the 1800s. They thought there were little people with clothes on. That was wrong, but they were kind of right. They were kind of, I'm, I'm serious, but they were kind of, but they were kind of right. They're like, hey, you know, the sperm cell is where it all starts. Okay. So all these things, if someone says fake news or conspiracy theory, all scientific fact and social fact is at one point a conspiracy. You're throwing everything at the wall. You have to have the free flow of information. And when we have just a small, I mean, we call them billionaires and I'm not against a billionaire. I hope to be one, but I mean, we look at Russia, we go the oligarchs. We have big tech oligarchs. And when, yes, you, only ha- yeah, when you only have Facebook, which is really one meta, you have Zuckerberg. So when you have Facebook, Instagram, when you have YouTube, Google, when you have Twitter, when you have Snapchat, when you have TikTok and you have Reddit, it's really easy when you've only got a handful of people that you got to bring into the government and say, hey, this is for national security, just like they did right after 9-11 when they went to the heads of all the telecom commun- uh, companies. You only have to corrupt a handful of people to massively sway what happens in the real world. And then you can dress it up with national security. You can say that you got an NDA and then you got an NDA on your NDA. The idea, and we saw it with Jen Psaki saying, I think towards the end of last year, we're working closely with Facebook and other social media companies on flagging misinformation. Well, once you move the Overton window and say that the White House can now affect free speech, you have, it doesn't matter if it's about vaccines or if it's about what the debt ceiling is, or if it's about, you know, whatever. You are now saying that the people in the White House can affect what can be discussed. And the White House is made up of politicians who are lobbied by private corporations. It is fascism. It is the marrying of corporations and state. 
So that whole ramble, you can tell I get passionate about this because my white Irish skin starts to boil up and get red, is, <laughs> is, is, and not, not every candidate I've talked to has, has a, a, an opinion on this or a, a plan, so I, I, I can't fault you if you don't, but what are you going to do about Section 230 or more specifically the idea that these digital monopolies are – because we're seeing the real-world effects. You can't talk about vaccines. You can't talk about crime. You can't talk about should we – you know, what's going on in – two weeks ago, if you said there were U.S. biolabs in Ukraine, you would get banned from Twitter for misinformation. A week later, we're coming out and saying we got to secure the U.S. biolabs in Ukraine because we don't want Russia to get it. So sorry for that. But your thoughts on all of that. No, so look, I, I am a component of – I want to break them up. They're too big. I don't think that there's anything in the 230 that we can do that is going to regulate Google, Meta, any of these organizations. They're too big. They need to be broken apart. Then we need to change the legislation. You know, and one of the things I was working on to stay with this is, you know, let's look, you know, when we look at everything that happened, you know, through the rioting, the, the causing billions in damage, all of these different things. And I look at who's responsible. Big tech is responsible. Media is responsible. All of, you know, co- corporations are responsible. And so and I said, well, wait a minute. Let's start with, I'm going to go backwards here. Woke corporations, everyone says, oh, they're a private business. The hell they are. They are publicly traded. And the majority of American citizens have the retirements and pension funds tied up inside those companies. And then what happens every time Google or one of these companies make a mistake that costs them billions and billions of dollars, it's not the, the people at the top that are losing their money. They go, oops, while, you know, everyone that their retirement account, they just lost 30, 40%. And it's the citizens that have to, you know, rebuild their retirement while these companies steal the retirement because that's where their funding is coming from. So there's no risk to the billionaires. The risk is to, you know, like my teachers or, or employees that are putting, you know, 10% of their paycheck or 5% of their paycheck into a future retirement. So I don't buy the notion that these are private companies. My little business is a private business. I don't take any public funds. I'm not publicly traded and stuff. It's my money. So you can label me as a private business and stuff. But when I'm taking people's pension money or retirement money, you're not a private business and stuff. You are subject to those investors. And we need to really draw a line on that. And so then when we come to the media, you know, we're not allowed, when we look at free speech, of course, freedom of press, free speech, absolutely. And so it belongs there. But when you use like screaming fire in a crowded uh, movie theater is illegal. When the media and big tech create the very situation that caused the death and destruction that we watched, there must be a way to hold them accountable and not allow them to hide behind free press or you know freedom of speech, because absolutely not. This wasn't freedom of speech. You came out and flat out lied your ass off and caused this division in our country. Now move that to a politician. <clears throat> One of the things that I think is most outrageous in a congressperson is that I you know I get elected and I can say whatever I want and there's no consequences to me other than I could get voted out of office and stuff but there's no legal 
holding me responsible so I can come back here to Massachusetts and throw all the bombs, go back to D.C. while Boston's burning because, you know, I just caused this whole riot to happen. How am I not responsible? Just because I'm a congressperson, I have the right to say whatever I want, regardless of, uh, of the destruction and stuff. So, you know, I don't know how to fix this yet. I've been working on it for months because I do think there has to be accountability. You know, you can't recall me as a congressperson and, and stuff. So you can impeach a president. You can impeach or recall a governor, depending on your state. You know, everybody's got these different you know mechanisms, but there is no mechanism to hold a congressperson person or a senator accountable other than to vote them out. Yeah. And, and, and that's just nonsense when you know, I mean, think about Adam Schiff. I mean, yeah. what a lying little weasel and the destruction or, or, you know, the Russia, Russia, Russia and all of this stuff. Who's responsible for what they did to this country? And the fact that half of our country still believe that Russia, Russia, Russia is real. No. And you just sit there going, wait, and stuff. And, and really, I look at my daughter, right? It's her generation that's drinking this Kool-Aid along with her their teachers and stuff. And we've got to fix that. You, know, you can have free speech, but free speech should not come in the form if it, if it you know, causes harm. You know, if you look at, and you know, let's take that to religion. Freedom of religion and free speech is our First Amendment. What was America founded on? Our ability to be free and to worship the way that we see it. That's how America came to be, right? Yeah. And, and that's where freedom of speech came. But that thin line between free speech and freedom of religion is you cannot weaponize your religious belief to seek harm on somebody else. Mm-hmm. And stuff. So if we know that that is a line that can't be crossed, then there's got to be a way that we can hold media, tech, and politicians accountable without them hiding behind, oh, it's free speech. Yeah. You know, be damned that the 100 people just died. That's irrelevant. Stuff. Uh, my lies may have caused that, but you can't hold me accountable because I was allowed to say it. But if you as an individual go to say it, well, the Department of Justice will find some way to hold you accountable, you know, i.e. look at January 6th. Mm-hmm. Oh, and stuff it. Yeah, sorry. No, and then you think about January 6th, right? No one talks about, you know, what was it? Um, I want to go back to, I think it was February, January. It was the Department of Energy and Department of Labor, if I have this right, and stuff that we did have an insurrection after January 6th when the Senate was questioning um, the Attorney General and he asked them about, hey, what just happened two blocks away from the Department of Justice? These people died. These buildings were taken over, I believe, for I think it was 36 hours. Nobody's talking about that. No one talks about, you know, oh, this is the first time that something like this happened in Washington, D.C. Wasn't it just a few months previous to January 6th that the president of the United States was being taken to the bunker Mm -hmm. because people were overtaking the White House and burned the church? Like, so, yes, January 6th should not have happened. You know, it, it 
on its face, it's disgusting, but you have to look at all of it. And if you won't look at all of it, well, then really you're just throwing bombs and you have no real reason that you're trying to say you want to solve something because you got to look at all of it. And all of it does stem from, you know, I'm going back to Adam Schiff and them. This all started with this Russia, Russia, Russia bullshit and just perpetuated it forward and forward. And we watched it just morph into this and now we look, even now, you know, we look at Ukraine and you listen to people. Oh, it's Trump's fault. What the hell does Trump have to do with what's happening in Ukraine right now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and stuff, you know, there, listen, I, I can tell you the things I like about Trump and the things that I don't sure. and stuff. You know, his policies are, are spot on and stuff. You know, 91, 95% of his policies were solid for all of us yeah. and stuff. Was his tone sometimes a little over? I can certainly admit to there were many times yeah. I'm looking at the TV going, don't say it, don't just say just it. Shut oh, up, shit, just shut up, just shut up. Just, <laughs> hey, hey, I mean, I love his policies too. The reality is he's got... He's got a fake tan. He's on his third wife, and he has the uh, he has the presidential character of of me. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's okay. To, it's okay to look at him and go, "Hey, you're, hey, Michael Jordan." Apparently, Michael Jordan's an asshole. He cheats on his wife and is addicted to gambling. However, if I'm running a basketball team, I I want Michael Jordan. You know, it's so. No, I I agree with that. But everything you're saying about, I mean, when we have um. Well, let's just look at uh, let's look at another example. Let's look at uh, you know it's now coming out. I don't think it was ever a surprise to anyone, but it's now coming out that we they gave over a billion dollars uh, to to media media conglomerates to run vaccination ads. Which I I I'm not vaccinated. I'm not for it. Everyone I know has it. That's and that's really not too mm-hmm. much of a surprise to me. Sure, of course it's during a pandemic. Of course the government's gonna that that's not surprising to me. But it was only positive coverage. You could only do positive coverage of it so when we look at the over twenty four thousand deaths in the virus system now there is a very real effect to what they were pushing i've interviewed uh, dr george freed and dr brian tyson the latter of which is also running for congress out of california they've treated over ten thousand people in the imperial valley of california ages 18 to 90 for covid 100 percent success rate by using alternative treatments but they were censored i think they were even visited by like dhs we're looking at very real things. And when the company is standing to make this money, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, it's not even like that there was some cap on the amount of money they could make. They're making record-breaking profits quarter after quarter after quarter on this. You cannot look at that and say that there was no effect from, from censorship of alternative treatments and artificially pushing another treatment. There, there are thousands, there are tens of thousands of people dead because, of it. and again, if you want the vaccine, go for it. Get ten. I don't give a shit. Take a booster every day. Go wild. To me, there are very real effects. Or Maxine Waters on what summer twenty twenty. Get up in a Trump supporter's face. Don't let them peacefully. That is incitation of violence. You cannot have that. And yeah, now I'm getting worked up. But that is that is that is a huge thing, though. But to me. It's one of the core things that I think a lot of other problems could be alleviated by is the free flow of information. I mean, Teddy Roosevelt did it in the early 1900s. These things are massive and they are affecting every part of our life. Yes, sure, private corporations. They are the digital town square. And during a pandemic, when you legally could not meet in a town square, they became the de facto town square. And when you have that, you can't have a group of people who have their own leanings or their own financial interest in going, 
don't say anything about hydroxychloroquine. Character assassinatum. I mean, if I can have on the inventor of the mRNA vaccine and get suspended from YouTube and then ultimately banned, you're banning the voice, the guy with the eight patents who created it cannot talk about it. To me, that is when I had on a CIA veteran right after a a veteran 20-year analyst right after the election in 2020 and she started talking about, you know, all the fraud and I got suspended for that. If we're not if we're not listening to these people, who are the professionals and who deemed themselves a professional? And to me, we're just it's not even that it's about the election or about COVID. What we're doing is we're moving the Overton window to where people accept the idea that there is there are topics that you cannot talk about. And it's for your own safety. Insert. You can plug and play. It's like Mad Libs. Remove COVID and put in Ukraine. Remove election fraud and put in whatever the next big news story is. There's going to, like everything else, there's going to be some other thing in six months that everyone changes their profile picture to. Who knows? You'll never have cared about it before, and then all of a sudden they'll be passionate about it. We're plugging and playing, and all you got to do is is run that simulation out another two years, another 10 years, another 20 years, and then all of a sudden we have a generation growing up, and it's just normalized that you're not allowed to talk about this, you're not allowed to talk about that. You and I are going to be old farts going, no, there's free speech. You're allowed to talk about it. They're going to be like these old racists. And then you're going to go, oh, this is how the country devolves. Right. Um, This is the way the game is played. You know, and and if if the country is so, you know, think about it this way. I'm in Massachusetts, right? You you can't be more blue, you know, next to California (laughs) and, and stuff. But if everyone is so uptight about COVID, right? Okay. We all know that this was a man made disease. Yeah. It was made in China, funded by America. Let's not pull any punches on this. It leaked out of the lab. So then we look and say, okay, where is the, all of us not screaming from the top of our lungs? We will not allow these things or this type of research to be done anywhere in the world anymore. We learn about the 2,500 or 25 you know, bio labs in Ukraine now that we've got to be worried about. And then this speckless Romney comes out and goes after, you know, uh, Tessie, uh, I'm sorry, I'm messing up her name, Um, the congresswoman out of uh, Hawaii and stuff. Tulsi Gabbard. Yes, thank you. Um, You know, and and saying that, you know, she's treasonous for talking about this. And you're going, what are you talking about? Shouldn't we all be talking about this? What's the next pandemic? Should we let another pandemic out to the world that happens to be, again, funded by America in another country? And what's this one going to cost us? $20 How long are we going to get locked down for again? Like, where the hell are our politicians who are really just everyday citizens. I mean, we all really can't just have our heads so buried that we don't recognize. But you know what? In fairness to our fellow citizens, when the media doesn't cover it, as I you know, said to one of you know, my ex-GC that was running my campaign, and he's not running my campaign anymore over this type of stuff, because he would say to me all the time, well, no one's talking about it, or it's not on the media. You're right. And I would sit, push back and say, just because the national media doesn't want to cover it and stuff doesn't mean that it's not true. And it doesn't mean that I shouldn't be out there talking about it. And, you know, my job to try to win in Congress is to come out and tell the truth, whether that's comfortable or not comfortable. I'm going to come out, tell the truth. 
I'm going to give you a solution. That solution may be my opinion for a solution. And then you have to decide, do you like my solution or do you not? Yeah. And stuff, but to go out there and, you know, just, you know, hand me pieces of paper and say, read this. No, <laughs> if I wanted to read this, I would just donate to a, to a feckless politician and stuff. I'm not a politician. I am a everyday American. I'm a small business owner who, like everybody else, is pissed off and just wants common sense brought back to our government. And Congress cannot continue to shuck its responsibilities and just pass everything to unelected bureaucrats that are destroying this country and stuff. We have oversight. You know, one of the proposals I want to make is no new regulation coming to our schools, to the um, uh, the EPA or F, you know, banking, any of these things. No new regulation can be passed on the American citizens until the bureaucrats have brought it to Congress and Congress passes that new legislation. Nobody should be making laws or making regulations on America or, or her citizens. They're, that's what we have elected officials for. And they're not doing their job. It's like passing the, the war responsibilities to the White House or you know, to the executive branch. And no, it belongs in Congress. We need Congress people or persons that were being PC and, and stuff. We need a proper Congress that actually does their jobs. And, and we need to teach our citizens to throw your politicians out every time they pump their job that they're being paid for to an unelected bureaucrat because they don't have skin in the game. And, and we've got to look at the top of all, you know, one of the things I think Trump was right on, and I don't know if we'll ever see it happen, but break up Washington, D.C., take every one of these departments and go place them where they belong. You know, Department of um, Energy, move it down to Texas and stuff. You know, if it's agriculture, move it out to Ohio or, you know, or Idaho. You know, put these agencies where they belong and take the power out of D.C., which will also stop this nonsense of trying to turn D.C. into a state, because when you take away the government, there is no state that anybody wants. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and shrink the government. I'm a states' rights guy shrink the federal government and give the money back to the states and really in some cases bypass the state and go right to the local you know government and stuff and get it into the cities and towns and let them do what is the best it'll be cheaper and more effective you know and one of the you know i'll use this example for you on childcare. If you look at, you know, I'm in the daycare business, so I do kids that are six years old to six years old. Just like, you know, now the government version of that is mock. So my $1.2 million daycare center in revenue, right? Let's say, you know, 85 kids. Now take those same 85 kids and put them into mock, which is a federal program. That same program costs over $10 million to run. There's no differences in expenses, payroll, any of the above. It's all about these executives and, you know, you're an executive director or you're this or you're that. None of these things that are needed doesn't make education better. In fact, um, it was Cato that did the study, uh, you know, and showed how $10 billion got wasted inside mock. Now, 
I run my little business at you know a million two in revenue and stuff. I make a good middle class life lifestyle for me and my family. I take care of all of my employees. I don't have any employees that are anywhere near fifteen dollars an hour. They're all well beyond that and, and stuff. And you you take care of people and stuff. So the question becomes. How can I or any other small business run the exact same business, get the same result, if not a better result, but yet we're able to do it for nine, you know, $9 million less per center and stuff. So no, we don't want the government to expand childcare and stuff. We need government to get out of the way of all businesses and let us grow. That's how small businesses turn into mid-sized businesses, et cetera, et cetera. And so just get the government out of our way. Talking to you is getting my blood pressure up. I'm getting all jacked up. I'm going to start screaming and banging the table. I'm like, yes. Um, uh, Mr. Paquette, let's, uh, let's do like another five minutes. I would love to have you on again. I would abs- I think you're, a, I think you're a total badass man. You're definitely one of the coolest guys I've talked to. You're uh, you, there's, you, there's nothing. No, I'm serious. I've done, this is episode 754. You can definitely tell when people are saying what they think I want to hear or what they think others want to hear. You're definitely just letting it fire from the hip as who you are. And I respect that. Um, for anything that, and for everybody listening, I'll put all the links to your website, social media, all that good stuff in the description. Um, but before we close it out, anything we haven't touched on that you maybe want to touch on? And again, like I said, we can always make uh, another episode. Secure the border. Secure the border. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, yeah. And stuff. We, you know, we must secure the border and stuff. You know, and we can just count down the ways. A hundred thousand dead Americans last year on overdoses and stuff. Or you know, when we talk about, think about Obamacare. Obamacare came in to our orbit, what, uh, 14 years ago now? Mm -hmm. And the argument then was we had 33 million Americans that were uninsured. That was the argument that was made. Well, 14 years later, we still have 33 million or 36 million Americans uninsured. Let's start to ask the question why. Every time we go to lift 2 million Americans up off the poverty levels, we import 2 million over the border and and we drive these 2 million back down because these 2 million that came in and took the jobs just put these ones back. It's this cycle that keeps going. Then when you look at human trafficking, Mm -hmm. it's a $150 billion industry worldwide. 18 to 22 million women and children are trafficked every year. That's a hundred billion dollars of that industry is right here in America. We have 500 times the amount of slaves in America today than we had 164 years ago when we ended the Civil War. So you can't say America is a free country when we have on average 18 million women and children that are being you know, trafficked, whether sex traffic, work trafficked, whatever it is, and stuff. This is a big deal, and we need to solve it. And as Americans, we've got to start talking about it. Most people don't even realize how big the problem is and stuff. And until I spent a year, you know, I met with all the different divisions of the state police, worked my way through, you know, having to get clearance to the next meeting and stuff to, you know, the last meeting was you can't bring in anything to write, record or anything. You can just have the meeting, ask questions, and we'll educate you. But this meeting didn't happen. One of those meetings. <laughs> and stuff, which got me to the FBI and stuff. And, and you look and, and go, how is this possible? Yeah. And stuff, you know, we have a thriving $100 billion industry. And these kids only have 
a two to five year life cycle yeah. and stuff. So, you know, when they say, uh, you know, kids are disappearing or, you know, we had 5,000 kids just a few months ago disappear from um, HHS um, that they had put the government. We put these children in care with guardians or foster care, whatever system we put them in. And the kids disappeared along with the guardians. Nobody knows where they are. And they just stopped talking about it. It, it flashed, I think, either Newsmax or something flew across my phone. That's what got my attention to go research it. And it just disappeared. And so 5,000 kids, poof, gone. No one wants to talk about it. And you know, we're only talking about a few months ago. I've, I've interviewed and, uh, uh, Christy Wells from Safe, Safe House Project. Yeah, it's a they 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 run like safe houses for human trafficking victims. Yeah, all those things. One hundred and fifty billion dollars. The life expectancy either is curtailed either from suicide or drug use. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's such a massive industry. When you realize just how much of it seems to come out of like foster homes, when you look yeah. at how the government can turn off like a light switch, uh, uh, like let's say in uh, Canada, if it happens in Canada, I know it can happen here. We're more we're better at better intel than them better technology than them if they can just flip off your uh, your crypto wallets because you part, partook in a in a protest right. how come that hasn't happened if we can track down these people if we can shadow ban them on social media if we can dox them if we can uh, throw financial sanctions on them if we can know your vaccination status if we can track you everywhere you are we can't do it with with literal human traffickers I mean, the only logical conclusion is is complicity. That's really that. Well, it is what you're asking. How many of our own elected officials are involved in it? And you know, I'm not being a conspiracy theorist, but you know what? You, you, there's just no way that anybody in the know doesn't know what what is happening here. And you're right. Seventy percent of all human trafficking happens out of our foster care system. The other thirty percent crosses our border. And I, you know, and when I talk to people about it, they always point to the border first. And I'm like, you know what? The bigger part of the problem has nothing to do with the border. Yeah. It has everything to do with our government agencies and foster care. And you, so you hit that right on the head. That's accurate. Oh yeah, no. And uh, you and I probably have a life expectancy of about a month after this episode, as we will both come. <laughs> as we will both, we you'll find both of us with our cars and ditches. Funny how that. Happens. I, I, you know, and look, I look at it this way, right? <clears throat> what country, right? If we're killing a hundred thousand Americans every year. Why is our military not crossing the border down to Mexico and just saying, done, the drugs stop, all the shit stops, and you move our damn military in, and you just simply go, Mexico, you got 60 days. Clean it up. Our military is sitting right here, just like you kind of watch the, uh, the military, Russia, sitting on Ukraine. Put our military there and say, you got 60 days or we're coming in. Yeah. Yeah, no. Do you think Mexico will clean it up? Yeah. Probably. Yeah, and you wonder why we're not doing it. It's complicity. It's dark money. It's exactly what it is. There's no other reason for it. There's no other reason for it. If we can track, if we can, re, you know, look at a pimple on your ass from space, but we can't, we can't stop fentanyl from coming over the border. It's exactly what it is. It's complicity. It's nothing more, nothing no, less. And you learn, you realize how much we're tracked. And, and I, I'll give it to you on an easier one because this was eye-opening for me when you learn, you know, you get into politics, right? I'm not a politician. And, you know, I always thought my vote is a secret. You have no idea 
what party I voted for, who I voted for. And then you know, they burst my bubble when I realized I know exactly who you voted for, how many times you voted, what your, you know, they call it infinity scores and stuff like that. But I was blown away to realize, oh, there's no secret here. It might be a secret to my neighbor, but for the person that's in the know that needs to get, you know, collect all this data or pay for the data, all of a sudden I go, oh, I know exactly what my neighbors are up to as far as their voting habits. Yeah. Um, and that shocks people because I think as Americans, we all think that our vote is a secret. Yeah. And then and it's not. And then you have an AOC character saying, you know, make make lists of your Trump supporter friends, which is, I mean, would make Stalin blush. It's start making lists. <laughs> that's that's coming. But um, Mr. Paquette, let's end this one. Let's wrap this one up. That was an awesome Absolutely. episode. You're a total badass. It's uh, that was fucking awesome, man. I would love to support you in any way I can. You're a real one. You Thank uh, you. you. You don't give a shit, and I like that. Um, no, we gotta do what's right. <laughs> Hell yeah, man! Hell yeah! And uh, if uh, Mr. Podcat and myself are dead within thirty days, you guys know who did it. And uh, but I'll email this episode to uh, your guy, and um, I'd love to have you on here again. And I uh, look forward to talking to you, man. Absolutely, anytime. Thank you so much. Thank God you. bless. God bless America. Stay safe, Recording everybody. Recording stopped. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Peace.